You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Hey, investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to the largest, fastest-growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Beyond doing our morning updates, keeping you in the loop with what's going on in the GTA, we love to bring on the best guests. And today we have Edna Keep for you on the show. She's an author, teacher, real estate investing expert. In fact, over the last 10 years, she's built a portfolio over $65 million. That's right, 10 years. She has over 500, sorry, 600 doors. (laughs) What's the difference? (laughs) And over 80 of them have been grown in the last year. Well, since I actually shot this video with her a couple weeks back, I've been able to partner with her. And this is why we're so aggressive in building 50 doors in the next couple months. So if you're interested in the things that Edna's doing, feel free to send me a message and let me know. You want to get involved. You want to get involved in these small to mid-sized apartments. It's an amazing opportunity. And I know you guys are going to learn a ton today on the show. Enjoy. Hi, Edna. Thanks for joining us on the show today. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. I am so excited to have you on the show. For anyone who's never met Edna, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us how you are the joint venture creator, active partner creator out in Saskatchewan, but you have, you, you're telling me you have a number of Toronto clients. So I thought this would be a great platform. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, uh, we started real estate about 13 years ago. And like everybody, we started out with a couple condos and a single family home. Uh, and then we graduated from there to now we've got um, 600 doors and all, all across Canada and some in the U S as well. And, uh, we, uh, we're primarily in Saskatchewan, of course, because that's where we're based. And uh, so, we're, so most of our properties are here. Most of our joint venture partners are here. My background is as a financial advisor. So uh, I'd already been used to raising capital and dealing with investors. So I knew what investors were looking for. Um, so we actually grew very quickly. Um, we started taking our classes with Robert Kiyosaki in 2007. And uh, 18 months later, we owned 50 doors. <laughs> the last one being a uh, 24 unit. So that kind of doubled our portfolio wow. one time. So um, we were inducted into Robert Kiyosaki's hall of fame in uh, at the end of 29, early 2010, because of all the strategies we used to, because we'd done lease options and uh, um, we bought properties with a dollar, you know, by buying, you know, nine and getting the 10th free and, you know, all these different creative things. We bought an apartment building, um on a credit card at an auction you know different stuff so they kind of look at all kinds of different things that you do um and then from going through all those processes we ended up uh, focusing on multifamily and primarily with other people's money so that's kind of our claim to fame our whole portfolio other than the first two has been built with investor capital that's fantastic and so where what i think people are going to get out of this and why i wanted you on the show when when we got the invite i'm like yes we got to get edna on the show is Joint ventures are, at least as far as I'm going to correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I doubt you're going to correct me in this case because clearly you're doing it. But joint ventures is the money. Like that is the biggest play known to man in real estate, at least here in North America. So now the, the problem is that I find is a lot of joint venture active partners, not so much money partners because they're out looking for people, but the active partners there, there's almost a sense that you would be in competition with one another. And so I thought, you know what, let's go a level above. Let's go to the person who can coach and teach people. So for anyone who wants to get into becoming an active partner in a joint venture, that's really what I wanted to tackle in this podcast. So 
Why is it that joint ventures is the way to go? What is it about joint ventures that means big, big money? And I think people have heard the numbers, but just elaborate a little bit of what kind of passive lifestyle that can give you and what you've experienced for you and your clients. Well, really, it's the only way you can scale. You know, most people, by the time they come to me, they've ran out of their ability to get mortgages uh, and or they, they used up all their own money. So if they still want to grow, you absolutely have to bring in joint venture partners for two reasons, one for money, but also to qualify for the mortgages. Because as you grow and get into multifamily, they're looking more at the net worth of the asset, uh, asset partners. Uh, and that's how you're able to keep qualifying exponentially for mortgages. Um, and really, you know, even Donald Trump uses joint venture partners for his properties. Like he's, he's uh, used uh, investor capital throughout his whole build. So if you really want to scale to anything other than, you know, a few doors on your own, maybe one small apartment building, you'll need joint venture partners. Yeah. And I love that because many people say, I went from zero to 20 properties. And we hear a lot of these stories and they seem just fiction or like you're breaking some kind of rule. But the secret ingredient is the joint venture partner. That is really the, 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 the secret sauce, if you will. So now you're big into multifamily. So how is it and why would you, how would you guide someone to bypass the single family home or that condo and jump straight into multifamily? Like, why is that the play? How does that kind of unfold for you and your clients? Well, you know, a lot of people, um, they're, they're looking for passive income and they want to get to the point where they're not managing their own properties. Um, and what we learned very early on uh, was that we could scale if we weren't managing day-to-day -day properties. Like we took the classes, we go back to different uh, seminars and conventions with a lot of these same students, and they seem to all be stuck at four properties. And the reason was they decided to do their own property management to save that hundred bucks a door. They decided to do all their own repairs and maintenance to save that those few bucks. And th those, what, what we always call that stepping over dollars to pick up dimes, you know, uh, it doesn't make any sense. If you're going to scale, you have to be able to hire property management and get all that day-to-day -day stuff done for you. Um, and that's what we started right at the beginning. We both had really uh, good incomes, good jobs. We weren't leaving. Our, our intention wasn't to leave. So we uh, actually, the very first partner we ever got um, a joint venture partner were property managers who had already, I think they owned 20 doors by the time we met them. And uh, they, they had the skill to property manage. So to us, it made sense to partner with them because we didn't want that job ever, ever. To this day, it's, you know, I still have a little bit to do with overseeing some property management. I hate it. It's the worst part <laughs> ever dealing with tenants and hearing about repairs and maintenance and stuff. But I think just stepping that, keeping that one off, that helps you grow as well. Because if you're inundated with that kind of information every day, toilet backup, windows leaking, uh, roofs leaking, snow needs shoveling, you have no time to really think about what you want to create. And we've done a ton of really creative deals. And that's the part that I really like to do too. We get lots of vendor take backs. And I've heard many people say, oh, how do you get a vendor take back? I've asked every vendor I've ever talked to and they just <laughs> laugh at me. Well, the key is when you do it and how you do it, because most people want to ask for a vendor take back before um, they even get the numbers on the property. Like, would you send me the numbers and would you look at a vendor take back? Well, that just shows your amateurs. Amateur? Did I say that right? Yeah. How Maturity? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> also, so uh, those are some of the few things that I teach my students is you have to do it at the right time because Fabulous. my students, 90, 80, 90% of them get vendor take backs. 
Wow. And, yeah. Oh. Recently, one of the <laughs> ladies that I was working with in Saskatoon, I did, a, I did an interview with her and just been interviewing on her success story. In her first apartment building, she got uh, vendor financing. Uh, she got CMHC financing. So between the vendor financing and the CMHC financing was like 97%, which to me was even unheard of. I'd never done that myself and only had to put in 3% of her own money. 3,000 a month, that one 12 unit apartment building cash flows her. Um, so getting that kind of, getting that kind of deal, like, like most people would say, well, she got that deal really with none of her own money. Very, very, very little. And yet she's going to be cash flowing that property very, very nicely. So that, that's the key about being creative. And, you know, mindset is a huge component in this too, because if you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Right. You know, right. right? And so many people go, Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. And, and when they start with me, I allow them to say that once or twice because they don't know yet. Right. You don't know what you don't know. But once you know, there's no such thing as can't. Um, I've had students who've um, got 90% vendor take back and then went on and, uh, you know, put some of their own money in the building and different stuff like that, refinanced all their own money out in, you know, less about a year, maybe, maybe 14 months and get all their money out and cash flow a, a nine unit, $5,500. That's just outside of wow. your in Port Hope. Uh, so it, it's absolutely possible, but you do have to wrap your mind around it first. Yeah. And if you keep telling yourself it's not possible, you're going to be stuck there your whole life. Uh, we've done it. Lots of people have done it. I love that. I love that. And, and I mean, you touched on so many good things there. Like I, I know property management could be a concern. Like a lot of these things people use as roadblocks where they're thinking, you know what, uh, if I have a money partner, they're gonna, not going to want me to the property management company. It would feel like it'd get in the way. But no, the goal here is to create as much wealth and growth and scale as possible for both partners. And same with the vendor take back. What a creative suggestion. It can be the same thing that makes people freeze and think, I can't do that. I can't do that. And that is really why we need people like you here that are cheerleaders and prepared to say you can do it and able to provide oftentimes the systems. Maybe, do you have any other um, stories of success maybe in the last year or two? And, and specifically, we get something during COVID. I'm interested to see oh, what that I has looked like. So the, the, the young lady I just told you about, um, at, when I interviewed her, remember I told you I did her success story? She said she must have had five people reach out to her and said, hey, I was in touch with the owners of that property and they said no to vendor take back right off the bat, like wouldn't wow. even consider it. And she said, well, you just did it wrong. That's all. <laughs> no, that, that's the thing is, is you, you have to do it in the right order. Um, the, the one in Port Hope, uh, the property had got in real disrepair because the couple had owned it for so long, done really well with it, but they were in a nursing home. They couldn't even manage it anymore. Uh, my student found out afterwards that actually they hadn't even been uh, cashing the last few months checks because they just, I think, weren't there. Like they weren't uh, right. just, just not capable. The son didn't want anything to do with it. He was living in Vancouver. The parents were in Toronto. And uh, so he just wanted to get rid of it. There were actually weeds growing between the windows. That's how bad a shape it was in. But, you know, uh, she fixed it up. Rents that were, they were getting 800. She's now getting 1800. Uh, so, so that was a huge success story. And like I said, uh, 90, 80 or 90% vendor take back on that. Uh, had to put in her, her own money to fix it up though, you know? So mm -hmm. they're, they're 
that that's another key with the vendor. Um, you're not going to get in with none of your own money. Like at the very worst case scenario, if she couldn't finish it, he gets a, a building back that's in better shape than it was going in, right? Right. Um, so you got to cover up all those bases. Um, one of my ladies uh, this summer or this spring, right during COVID, she closed her first building. It was an eight unit apartment building. She'd been working on it for a while, but you know, it was a small town. So there weren't people lined up to buy it. And she would be going ahead and thinking, oh, this is going to work. This is going to work. This can work. Oh, she'd get a setback of some sort. She wouldn't, you know, that, that money partner that was going to come in, decided he doesn't want to be in a small town, you know? So, so there was a lot of this back and forth. And so we spent some time talking on mindset on that. And I said, you focus that you are getting this building no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. And you know what, right during COVID, she ended up right at the last minute, like within days of closing, finding out that her mortgage was higher than she thought she was gonna get. Uh, and, the, and the investor came through when she closed, I think it was March 30th or something like that. Mm-hmm. And actually it was a few days late, she was supposed to close March 30th, and I think it was like April 3rd or something. But the one in Saskatoon, both of them during COVID, uh, another student of mine from Ontario, uh, Whitby, I believe is the area, uh, he, uh, appro- he started studying with me in November of last year. In the spring of this year, he bought 11 units in uh, White Court, Alberta. Uh, he got vendor financing so that he could get, get it taken over and, and uh, get the rents up and stuff because there was a couple vacancies in there and got uh, the vendor paid out in very short order. Uh, and the appraised value, 200000 more than he paid for. Uh, then he, he's working on a, uh, he's got a vendor financed building. I believe it's, uh, first one was 11. I think that was a nine unit. Or maybe I'm backwards. Maybe it was, no, the first one was nine. And White Court was nine. The second one was 11 in Strathmore. Vendor financing. And again, I just got to get the uh, numbers up and everything else and give him time to line up his investors. He'll close on that. Uh, he's taken possession, but he's going to close on it financially in, in a few months. Uh, and also working on a building in, in Saskatchewan. So what happened with him is there was a, another person in my class who just just felt like he wasn't ready to pull the trigger on his own, you know? And yet he found this 12 unit building that he was interested in. So he reached out to the other student who already had some experience and boom, they're doing a deal together. Wow, cool. Uh, so, you know, stuff like that is, is the success stories that I'm seeing again and again. Um, young lady just started with me. She's a property management, uh, in property management in Saskatoon. And she just uh, started with me, I think it was, maybe eight weeks ago and she's got her first eight unit building under contract should close on it in um i think it's december yeah december i think and uh she's already got most of her investors lined up she's still trying to uh, line up the last one again she got vendor financing 10 percent of the deal so like like all these i think she'll cash flow that little eight unit building like twenty five hundred dollars a month wow yeah. And financing is such a major component of all of this and having those contacts. That's why you tell me 90% of vendor take backs. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty incredible. And clearly all the students you've listed are all in that category. So there's plenty of options there. And I think that's where you need to get creative when that's where you need to have those resources. And it's a bit of a learning curve for a lot of people. Now let's say I want to become a joint venture active partner and I'm, I, now I need to go out and I need to find money. Where's the money? And there's a lot telling, like I'm telling you, for, for someone who is involved with the investor side, there is a lot of money out there, people looking for deals. And 
And if you've got investors that you're trying to hold to yourself, they're not big enough. There's, there's big pools of money out there. People just looking for those deals and the creative financing options and all of this. So where, where do we find these people? Like, where do you go to get the money to back you and say, yes, I believe in what you're doing. And, and I know that that would again, be a huge fear for someone starting out. Yeah. Well, one of the first things people need to learn is you don't get something for nothing. So these people are looking for a place to put their money. Yep. They're looking for something that's safe and secure. Apartment buildings are one of the safest, securest investments out there. Can there be stuff that goes wrong? Yes. Can markets, you know, market challenges, def definitely. But if you're looking at a long-term buy and hold, um, it's the safest place that you can invest. That's the right you can get CMHC financing, like 85% of the value of your building. And we get mostly CMHC financing with our deals too, which is, which is huge because then you need less money down, right? Um, so you, you can find investors anywhere. The key is providing value to those investors. And I tell my students, it starts with educating them. Because there's lots of people that do not understand real estate at all. I was a financial advisor for 15 years. I did not understand real estate. And you think that we were, we'd be trained in that. No way. Blinders were on. We were taught to sell mutual funds and insurance, and that was it. If you talked about real estate, even in, in questioning, oh, you don't want to go there. That asset class like I, I used to remember telling my clients oh you don't buy real estate that asset class like yields you about three percent a year unless you're in Toronto or Vancouver then it might be eight or nine you know so it, it's a whole misconception that financial advisors know everything about real estate they absolutely don't um, so the, those there, there's investors everywhere but you have to track them to you first and I believe the best way is through educating them. Uh, I get my students um, doing videos, newsletters, uh, going to networking events, and really just teaching them what they're learning. And as they teach them, and I go, and don't be scared to let them know that you're nervous, that you're scared, that you're just starting out, that, but that you have a team backing you, because I also believe that you shouldn't be doing every, anything by yourself, because if you're one lone person, it's kind of scary, but you got a team backing you, which is your coach and your mortgage broker and your lawyer and your realtor and, and your whole power team that you build. Um, so, so that's another real key. And that's something that beginners miss out on a lot. They think it's all about them, but it's not. It's about the team that you're surrounded with as well. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And even being a broker uh, myself, I can very much agree with the fact that like, although you're saying just sell real estate, we're, we're almost the same on the, that side too, than the funds and the stocks for sure. But there's also a narrow mindedness and not focusing on the investment component. That's, that's really what I'm trying to break in a lot of ways on this podcast. I want people to realize the people who are investing in real estate, they're looking at things like joint ventures. They're not looking at whether that home went $10,000 over asking and trying. And I think that that's, that's, a problem with our industry is it's very narrow minded. It's what's on the market. And, 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 you know, it's just very simple. It's very simple. So now I also want to create a platform here for people who are listening that have gotten this far in the show, whether they're a money partner, maybe leave it in the comments below so that we kind of make a connection with people. And if you're looking to do joint ventures or grow your joint venture, please leave your contact down below and let us know what kind of ventures you're doing. I think this is a great platform to get the word out. It's really about building communities and having these types of relationships in forums like this. Now, let's say I wanna be an active partner. What makes, I think if we're going to become a great active partner, someone who goes out and finds those deals and creates money for our investor clients, we need to know what that person looks like. What does that ideal investor look like? 
So the, the, are you looking for the passive investor, what they look like? The active. Passive investors just needs to bring, bring the money, the money. <laughs> in many ways, right? And, and a good and, attitude. And a good attitude, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but okay, so the active investor, there's a few things. First of all, they have to start, stop thinking that it's all about them because it isn't. Right. It, it's a team sport. When you're dealing with larger amounts of real estate, it's absolutely a team sport. In our case, we've had, we have managing partners. We find that that works better than straight, straight property management. We still have man, um, uh, property managers, uh, but you have to know how to manage the managers. So you have to know how to manage your team and your team starts with your realtors, your mortgage brokers, your lawyers, like all those people are on your team. Um, so first of all, you learn what you can from them um, because you can't know everything. Like I, I don't understand the law. I don't understand the legalities of how everything's put together. And I'm also a very optimistic person. So I need lawyers who will keep my feet planted on the ground, right? Because I always think right. everything's going to go right. And lawyers will always remind you of all the things that can go wrong. So you need them on your team because they will point out all the things that could go wrong and, and do the uh, uh, proper agreements and stuff like that for you. So your team is, is the biggest thing. You, and, and in whatever area you're working in, so whether you're working in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, or Memphis, Tennessee, you have to have a team there. Again, not all about you. And that's probably the biggest thing that people need to wrap their head around. And then, so once you build that team, then you're really the quarterback of that team. You know, you don't have to know how to block and I'm trying to do football here and, and kick and everything else. That's not your job. But you as the quarterback, you need to know how to manage all that job. That's right. Now we've heard some success stories and, and we've, now we're talking a little bit about roadblocks or challenges that could be faced and why you need these guys on your team. Could you give us maybe a scenario you've seen where things might've gone a little bit off the rails or whether it's a client or not, just having been in this business and had such success and networked with so many people. I mean, the two of us, we've, we rub elbows with a lot of the same names. It's, it's actually quite funny. So yeah. maybe you can tell us a little bit about some of these scenarios that you've encountered where you're like, that could have been resolved had these things happen? Sure. Well, you know what? I have, I have two scenarios I want to share with you, but uh, we're actually living through these right now. Uh, and we've never had any challenges up until just recently. But we have a partnership that's quite a large partnership, like 270 doors at one point. Mm -hmm. And um, we started out working with a father-daughter team. And they were, they were great to work with. Um, then what, the daughter got married. <laughs> And then we started having some challenges with the buildings. Like uh, we just went into the market, dropped a bit and, and uh, you know, higher vacancy, different stuff like that. But all of a sudden the husband is the know-it-all. He's not on a mortgage. He's not on a title. He's not, you know, but he knows everything and he's managing everything and he's the boss. And that is tough to deal with because all of a sudden the people that you were used to dealing with, and you know what, this could happen, death, divorce, you know, you never know sometimes who your partner is going to end up being. And uh, that that can be a bit of a nightmare, you know. For so sure. that, that's one we're living through right now and trying wow. to figure out a way to get out of it. Um, another one is, and, and I actually did a video on this one the other day. We got taken to small claims court for the first time ever. And uh, this client, uh, we did a rent to own with. And um, it was a three-year rent to own that turned into a four-year rent 
rent to own that ended up failing because the tenant could not get a mortgage. He couldn't go get, get back to the type of jobs that he'd had before. Yeah. And uh, so when he moved out, he had done some work or started doing some work in the property and ended up leaving it a bit of a mess. But about 20,000 later, it was fixed up and re-rented and, and all this kind of stuff. But the, the uh, investor uh, felt like um, they, that I shouldn't have got paid this commission that I got paid. I get paid a fee for pulling deals like that together. Yeah. And, uh, and I was saying like, geez, you earned like, you know, 20% on your money over those four years. Why do you care? Nope, you shouldn't earn anything if that's the case. And I went, well, whatever. And I was just ignoring her. Finally, she takes me to small claims court. Still don't know the results actually because we haven't got our results. But you know what I learned in the long run? Because she was telling me the numbers because they actually still own that property. And with the, with the property that they've owned now for nine years, because this was originally purchased in 2011, even if the value today is the same value as it was when we purchased it in 2011, yep. uh, which is what the realtor was trying to say, she averaged 14% a year wow. on her money. Wow. Even with the challenge, taking all the money into consideration, the, the lower rent she's getting now, the, the lower cash flow, 14%. But you know what? She still feels like she lost. And man, oh man, you can't do anything with those kind of investors, yeah. you know, because it's a mental block. That was probably the best investment she's ever had in her life because you know what? I used to be her mutual fund advisor. And we never, ever did 14% ever, you know, um, <laughs> ever. And, and so honestly, I can say knowing her for the 20 some years I knew her, that that was probably the best investment that I ever knew of that she had. And if you think most people would be happy with a 14% return, but in her mind, she was a loser. And yeah, I don't know what'll wow. happen with the court case. What a beautiful mind. industry. Still the a ups and the downs. Yeah. Well, I want to end, I want to end on a high. Okay. So maybe okay. for people who are investors or people who want to get in, regardless of where you are in a joint venture, tell us a little bit. I know you've written a bunch of books and you've got a bunch of success stories. Get people pumped up as we are about making money in real estate through joint ventures. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, let me tell you about our very first really big deal. So this happened in 2012. So we started in 2007. Yep. Five years later, we bought 144 units in LaRange, Saskatchewan, northern town, population 3,000, uh, kind of the gateway to the north, if anybody un understands that sort of thing. And that we bought at around 44,000 a door. Within 36 months, we had totally repaid our investors, the investment capital, which was about $1.2 million and uh, got a huge payday ourselves. So, uh, so yeah, re refinanced that, got all the investors paid out in 36 months and we still own that property today. So there, that, that's what I call our first home run. Like we, that was yeah. a definitely a home run for us. Um, and that happened five years in. So, you know, when you mentioned before about, you know, how can uh, you talk about, you know, making this 5,000 month in passive income in yeah. five years? Well, that's how, you know, and, and it's either two or three or four small deals. In that case, I only own 30% of that. I don't own a big portion of it. So uh, that one deal um, was 6,000 a month, I think, paying, paying us. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was after the refi, after all the cash was out, all the investors were paid and a big payday and, and, or, a small 12 unit paying you 2,500, 3,000 a month, you know, so there's, uh, which, which you own hundred percent, which is, you know, there's, there's that scale 
from uh, from my students. And you know, just this year with the students that have bought their properties, they've they've been studying with me a year or in some cases less. And uh, their first, second, third property making eight, nine thousand dollars a month already. Wow, beautiful. Okay, so people are going to want to reach you. How are we best to find Edna Keep online, on social? Where can people come to find a little bit more about you and your coaching strategies? Well, I do free coaching Fridays and Mindset Mondays on my Facebook page, which is uh, Coach Edna Keep, so they can find me there. And then uh, my website is ednakeep.com and my email address is edna at ednakeep.com. So all very easy to remember. And uh, yeah, I've got, a, I've got a program that teaches people how to buy real estate with other people's money and how to get to that $5,000 a month. And I think the quickest I've seen somebody do it, we, we did it in 18 months. The quickest student I've had do it has been in uh, six months. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you, Edna, for taking time to join us on the podcast today. And we'll see you next time. You're most welcome. Thanks for having me.